0: Welcome to The Hidden South, a collection of conversations between myself, Brent Walker, and people I meet throughout the Southeast US. This is episode number three. It's PTSD Awareness Month, and today's conversation with Jamie focuses on her battle with complex PTSD. I wasn't aware of this different type of PTSD before Jamie shared her story with me. My assumption is that many of you haven't heard of complex PTSD either, so here's a brief description from sources that I'll include in the show notes. Complex PTSD is caused by chronic, long-lasting traumatic events rather than short-lived events and usually involves some sort of emotional or physical captivity. There are many symptoms of complex PTSD, some of which are shared with regular PTSD. One of the symptoms that seem to come up a lot for Jamie is called an emotional flashback. Emotional flashbacks are sudden and often prolonged regressions to the frightening circumstances of childhood. Because most emotional flashbacks do not have a visual or memory component to them, the triggered individual rarely realizes that she is re-experiencing a traumatic time from childhood. I met with Jamie in her home in New Orleans on June 14th, 2019, and we discussed the challenges and the triumphs that she experienced on her journey. Here's Jamie's story.
1: I had a a really crazy road with it because I struggled as long as I can remember. Um, I was, I can't say I was misdiagnosed when I was younger. They didn't diagnose me, but they didn't know what to do with me when I was in my maybe like mid to late 20s. So they started just throwing a lot of medication at me, a lot of medications that people would use for things like bipolar disorder, stuff like that, which I don't have. And they did this for like four years and they had me on so much that during those times I couldn't even you know, I have used writing and art as a way to handle things my entire since I was a little kid. My hands shook so bad I couldn't even hold a pencil, let alone do writing. All this did was all of my natural ways of managing it just cut off. Those were the hardest years. It was also the time that nobody realized yet but I had celiac disease. I was diagnosed with that right around the same time of the of the CPTSD, so that was a really huge year for me. And with the celiac disease, that brought, kind of was really just amping the trauma the whole time because nobody really believed me. And I was getting really sick and I was married at the time and I had you know a couple of miscarriages because celiac you can't really, um, you become very malnourished even though you're eating a good diet. And so there's a lot of things that were very tough um, and not really having, being on all that medication was making it much, much harder.
0: What were the symptoms, though, that kind of um, led up to that? Like, are the things that you were having to deal with, I guess?
1: So with, with complex PTSD, which is, is a lot like PTSD, it's like a more severe form, it's like a layering of trauma. And you tend to develop complex PTSD either from like preverbal or really early childhood trauma and neglect and that's mostly because the child can't escape from it, right? You still have to attach even if there's that going on. That's the most common way. The only other way is if you were to be something like not in war, but like a prisoner of war, like something that you're in for an extended period of time that you can't get away from. Mm-hmm. Um, so with it, you have a lot of the same symptoms PTSD. You have your flight and fight responses being triggered by situations which aren't, you're perceiving as dangerous, but aren't necessarily dangerous. Um, With CPTSD, there's a, a lot of emotional dysregulation. The defining kind of characteristic of it, something that it's taken me a really long time to get a name for it, but I've described over and over my entire life, is something called an emotional flashback. And so an emotional flashback is like a flashback, but without the visuals. So basically, in fact, because there's no visuals, it's hard for you to know that you're even in a flashback and there's all different levels of how intense it can be. So something can be a feeling or or all different types of triggers. A lot of this is attached to things like feelings of abandonment or rejection. Something that kind of makes you feel that way as an adult, all of a sudden you hit this emotional flashback, I used to call it being hijacked, where all of a sudden, it becomes so intense that you can hardly handle it. And it can stay for a matter of hours to weeks. Like it can be intense. Does it feel but what, like anxiety? What it is, is your like childhood self who experienced those things really intense. Instead of you experiencing it as an adult, you're experiencing it as you were those first ages. So you're experiencing it in like full vulnerability without your sense of adult resources, like all of that just it's almost like an amnesia to the fact that you're an adult that you can handle like you just feel it like you were little bitty so I used to call it being hijacked by like a child like like my inner child and it's pretty much what it is so it can feel yeah like it can feel like really intense it's a very very intense emotional pain panic can come from that so yeah for me it was like it was like panic pain and this feeling of being very small, very helpless in it. And then that will kick off your fight, flight, you know, fawn or freeze kind of responses too. That can be uh, difficult to explain. And like I said, in, the, in it, you don't really realize you're in a flashback. So if you're, if somebody's trying to say, this isn't a big deal or this is whatever, you can't, that doesn't make any sense to you. Right. It's always the hardest part. I could do really well. And then something would happen that would trigger one of these really emotional flashbacks and I would just feel like my progress of all these steps just took me like all the way back. It's really difficult, but I come to understand that there's something you can manage and make them less, they're just not gonna go away, they're just ingrained into you. A lot of, of it I think is these really intense, vulnerable feelings and a lot of panic. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly like a lot of like, things that will trigger that feeling of panicking the other really specific kind of thing to to this is like a very strong internal critic Mm. that's just like doesn't stop so that can be emotionally exhausting too i have a tendency to keep myself so busy so that i stay a step ahead of it right and then i'll wear myself to Emotional exhaustion. Yeah, and then the moment that I have any energy I'm back into it Which is probably why they thought I was bipolar when I was younger because I would just go until I couldn't possibly go anymore And then my body would shut down At some point everything here was so bad. I just left right. Um, I left the marriage I left went up to Montana Which had better, much better resources forces than New Orleans, I right? Guess. I had a, a total breakdown. Yeah. When I got up there Leaving and going that far away, I didn't run away from any of the problems. I just was there now without my friends and in a totally opposite environment <laughs> in New Orleans at right. home. I had a major breakdown. Thank God it wasn't like a hospital situation. I just went to this really sweet place for like a couple of days. These so ladies Was it like took, a
0: respite center? Or? Yeah, it was
1: just like a Hope House or something. It was just like a place like to you like... stay for free for you, a few days. Yeah, it wasn't for free. I'm sh- oh, no, it was for free. Yeah.
0: God.
1: I was only supposed to spend like a night or two, and I asked them, please let me spend one more night. (laughs) And they let me, and I I sat in front of her and I was like, these horrible things just keep happening, these horrible things, like, you know, from this, then this horrible thing. Like my, for 10 years, there was like a huge traumatic event that happened like every year, ever since Katrina. It like just started off this, the thing about complex PTSD, it might be the same with PTSD, I don't know, is that you ever like try to make, to like keep something bad from happening, but you cause it to happen instead. It's like became the rule of my life. All I wanted was to stay safe and I couldn't help but get into abusive situations or, you know, it was just like one thing after another. And, and it would just, at this point, I was so spent and I was coming off of that four years of being medicated. And so I get to this place and I just start talking to this lady, and I'm like, it just doesn't stop. It's like one horrible, thing. I don't get my feet back under me. You know, like it's, I'm trying, I'm reading, I'm, I'm doing all the things. I'm like, but my days, I have my whole days planned out of it's one meditation type activity after another. It's still not enough, like all I'm doing is surviving. And I'm like, it's been like this for a while. And so I start telling her and she goes, oh honey, This is trauma. (laughs) That was the first time anybody had ever said that to me. I had been in therapy for four years leading up to this. And I kept telling them, y'all are on the wrong path, y'all are on the wrong path and nobody listened to me. And I get to there and they're like, oh, honey, this is like complex trauma. Like this is, this is the real deal. And then I told her what they had been doing the last four years and she's like, I have no idea how you survive the help you've been getting. Mm. I did two months of trauma therapy there and we used art it was amazing. The two things that have healed me the most were both with art. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And I had to leave the state both times for them to happen. I probably healed like 30%, like in two months with her 40 Like I was immediately yeah. a whole lot better. Right. Like almost, probably even just telling me what it was, I was immediately like a whole lot better. Sure. The two months that I did, I was with her. I would leave and she would be like, hey, for this week, look, I want you to do a piece of art that like explores this thing. And she would expect me to come back with like a little drawing, but I'd come back with like these multimedia media pieces <laughs> put, where every little thing meant something. And it was like...
0: Overachiever,
1: yeah. You know, and I would get... Right, which perfectionism is one of those things right. that's like all tied up. You're supposed to break that down. But and she was like, okay, so yes, you're going to get an art project every week. <laughs> She's like, I've never ever seen anything like this. And then I would take those projects and then I would, I would have programs on my computer where I would write... Like, all of the, like, I'd break it down like a homework assignment, all mm. the, like, like, log it, yeah. you know, and everything that it's connected to, all the reasons I use each thing, where, you know, I, what I had learned from this. I made it a job, you know. And um, I get back to New Orleans, there's nothing, right? So I do whatever I can. Um, I had a very little money, so, like, the EFT, uh, the tapping, um, I learned that. You know, any little things I could learn, anything I could find yeah. I started doing, um, um, massage therapy regularly I had they kept saying a is in the body. It's in your muscles, right? So I kept like trying to find ways to relax in my body things eventually got pretty tough again and The best thing my folks have ever done is I was able to talk them into because We hadn't talked for years after the diagnosis. They just disappeared when I got diagnosed with that
0: really Is it because they were, they had some shame around the trauma that happened to you? They
1: still won't. My my mother's reaction of everything is just to gaslight. It's just, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing happened. I don't remember any of that. Do you know You're the only one that remembers that. Do you
0: know what happened?
1: Oh, I know things that happened. Yeah, I know a lot of things that happened. What was interesting though is the one thing I wouldn't have known, and we didn't know where the pre-verbal part was coming in, what right. happened. And I randomly had fallen down and went to go get an X-ray. I had, di- I had like, didn't dislocate, but I had um, like s- strained, I guess something in here. But when they did X-rays to make sure nothing was broken or out of place, they caught this in the X-ray too. And they were like, when did you break your collarbone? Like you have a nasty like break that healed really wrong. I was like, you know, I have zero memory of ever breaking a collarbone, but I feel like it was any time past the age of three, I probably would have had memory of my collarbone hurting at some point, right? So,
0: Did you ask your mom about that
1: specifically? I did. Um, There was a lot of stories that she told me about. It could have been a number number of things. She had told me one story about after um, getting my shots from the doctor, I was a baby, she had strapped me into the baby seat in the, I was in the back, but she forgot to strap. Like I was in the car seat, but the car seat wasn't attached to the car. And she slammed on the brakes in traffic. And she said it, I flipped like this. Yeah. And I would have been suspended. I guess her way of it was like, you were madder than hell and you wouldn't stop crying. She's like, well, I wasn't gonna just pull over cause you were crying. Like I was in traffic. Like, you know, I got to you when I could get to you. So that could have been it. Yeah. Um, but also my mom told me this story. She said, uh, when I was a baby, I never stopped crying. Well, probably, I mean, always heard my whole life how when I was a baby, I would never stop crying probably because I had a broken collarbone.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: But they just labeled me as being a bad baby. Like I was, my whole life, I'm the oldest. I've been called the first pancake. You know, the first pancake doesn't ever come out right, but pan's good for the next two. Right. Jesus. So, yeah. so my, she said that my dad couldn't get me to stop crying and she was asleep and she said he threw me at my mom on the bed to wake her up. So I could have broken my collarbone then, or I could have already had a broken collarbone when he threw me at her. Um, I know I also fell out of a window that wasn't very high up, and I know that when I was a baby, also my mom was chopping wood, I don't know why, and put the ax down, you know, the heavy part down, and it fell and hit me um, but I think that just got my face. She said they thought I was gonna have to have plastic surgery on my face. But anyway, lots of stuff happened to me. I got locked in the car in the summer in New Orleans when I was a baby. Lots of stuff happened to me when I was a baby. But the car accident makes a lot of sense to me. And it makes a lot of sense that that's why I didn't, as they say, I didn't stop crying for, for like over a year as a baby probably somebody should have brought me to the doctor.
0: You're in pain for a year.
1: And then my whole life, it became my life story. It became Jamie can never be, is never satisfied. There's always something wrong. Like it's like, she's difficult. So like a lot of family vacations, they just plan for four, you know, two younger brothers. Or like, they all are interested in the same things. I'm interested in different things. I would just stay in my room all the time until they'd go to sleep. Cause they go to bed at like eight. And then I would go eat, do my laundry, do my stuff. When I was 13, I have a lot of memory of this situation. I now realize I would have already had PTSD, so it was flight, like I remember I took off. Um, We're in a cabin in the woods, and I remember wanting to go back and just not being able to bring myself to come back to them. And so I stayed away for probably a couple hours, and they were like, that's it, you don't come on vacations with us anymore.
0: You have to have a lot of resentments, or at least at some point you had to have a lot of resentments, like how do you,
1: my dad had attacked me like three times like when I was 16, 21, and 24 without it being provoked where just something went wrong and he he went for my neck. My parents have denied that. I think my mom's afraid he would get in trouble. So the way they've handled all three of those was just to try to convince me it never happened, even though it happened three different times, years apart. <laughs> yeah, stuff with them is very strained. I mean. I can still call there if I need to, but we don't talk. It's not healthy for me to talk to them because even if nothing bad happens, I can't. The four of them are still super close. Like I've blocked them on people um, like my brothers and wives and their wives and stuff on Facebook just because when pictures pop up with all of them together and just holidays and all that stuff, you know, is hard. So I, don't, I protect myself from seeing it. Yeah, so my dad. I, was, I, was, I had a boyfriend at the time in Montana, and I was fucking losing my shit, right? This is when I was getting diagnosed. So when I was in that spot, the boyfriend's mom, who's way overly involved, calls my dad, who she's never met, doesn't know anything about my family, my family background, and says, your daughter needs you, and you need to be here, and like kind of guilts him into coming, The moment they told me that my dad was on his way, I, like, wanted to just crumble into, like, a little puddle. I was like, he can't come here, and I told them, if he comes here, I'm going to lose my family. Like, I'm telling you, that's a bad situation. Like, it's going to be bad if he comes here, and they're like, he's already in the air. It's like, fuck. So my dad shows up, and it's always, he's very needy emotionally, so it's immediately everything's on him, and... We're just trying. I'm just trying. In my head, I'm like, just don't let things go bad. Well, he showed up with a plan. We're leaving. I'm putting you on a plane tomorrow, and I'm going to drive your car home. And I was like, you can't. I sleep on it. I wake up that morning, and I text him, and I said, um, I'm headed over to the Hope House. I was going to do like, set something up with them. And I said, uh, he was at his hotel. I said, um, look, I I can't leave right now. Like, i trying to like walk on eggshells. Like, I appreciate that you came out here. I know that you have this plan, but I can't do it because I've been looking for an answer my entire life. And these people have the answer. Yeah. They have the help. If I go home to Louisiana, there's no help for me. Right. There's, I don't have a house there. Like there's no place for me to go but their house, which is in Lafayette now. I was like, I can't, I can't. Well, he never answered back. He never texts me back. So I go do my thing. And I'm in, I mean, I'm still in like crisis, but I mean, I was, I was in pretty bad shape as far as like anxiety and everything right. at the time. But but he never texts me back. I go to the hotel, he's not answering. The lady at the desk said so he checked out like four hours before like, apparently he was flying out. And he checked out like four hours early, flew home. I did not hear from him and my mom for two years. I mean, he had learned while he was there that I had, they were saying it was preverbal trauma So all of this trouble I've had my whole life that they've pushed me aside because, you know, the trouble that I had emotionally was always, I mean, they're a a family of no wimps, don't cry, like very sports, like jocks, you know, all of that made me very unacceptable to them. And now the reality is that they may have caused all that.
0: Right. And then instead of being able to say, well, she's just the black sheep, she's the, 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 the first pancake type of bullshit. Now then you have to
1: face your denial. So he's just gone. He never, and I, I went through that text so many times. I was like, there's nothing bad here. Like, there's nothing mean here. Like, there's nothing that you can take this and be like, this is ungrateful or, you know. So, for, so like, Thanksgiving passed in here from him. Christmas, you know, this, that, like, you know, and so it just became, well, they weren't in my life anymore. No goodbye, no nothing. At some point, I called my mother, and we were talking, and I said, you know, I've just so angry at him for just disappearing, and she was like, oh no, I told him to come home. And I said, what? She's like, oh no, you and I had had a phone, a, a conversation on the phone, and you cursed while you were talking, and I was called, to text him, or called him, and said, if she's going to curse, we're not helping her. Come home. What the? Fuck they're like super strict and I was like I was in crisis <sighs> She's no she doesn't care. She was like she used to be like Jamie I didn't expect you to make it to 30 like
0: <laughs> <Ugh>.
1: <laughs> Like you're so like it's such a um, Inconvenience that you're still here. Don't ask us for anything, but the one thing that they did do One of the things that's really tough with complex PTSD especially with early childhood trauma is really close like Relationships, right? Really close relationships, really intimate relationships, because you have this part of you that has a really hard time right. trusting, right? And I was one. I was it, with somebody that I just adored, and he's still very close in my with me in my life. Uh, relationship didn't work out because of all these things, but he's one of my main supporters. I wanted to keep. I, I was losing him, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose him. And and I wanted, to, you know, fix. Myself, And so I had found, and I had since Montana done things like flown to other places, other states, but all I had was Medicare because I was on disability for a little while. And I went to places that Medicare would take. They're like hospital situations. They're terrible. They're like super traumatizing. It's like, they don't help you at all. All they do is hurt you. Like, and I was like, that is not an option. That's all my, that's all I can afford. And it's not an option. Um, I had flown to Dallas and it was, it was a nightmare. It was one of the most terrifying experiences. I don't know. Those things should be illegal. Anyway, I found these ladies in West Virginia and this place was fucking amazing. And the whole reason that I am as like high functioning with this as I am is because of them. So I I find these women, what they're doing is something totally different than anywhere else. I wish more people knew about it. They are basically manually processing trauma through art therapy um you get in five days with them which is like a nine to four kind of situation their their clinic does one person a week everybody in the whole place is focused on one person and it's like a year's worth of intense trauma therapy Mm -hmm. in five days wow my parents who i put it to as i know y'all don't want anything to do with me but i can't keep a roof over my head by myself without more help so I need help with this like and so they paid for it for me i went and uh what they did is this it's the most fascinating thing you, you don't even have to like talk to them there's no like talk therapy involved in it they they, sh- they give you a piece of paper that has like the five or six different things that happen within a traumatic event like your own personal like what your body goes through through a traumatic event right and so they say think of something that is the most triggering for you that we need to process because trauma gets stuck right you don't process it and learn from it it's just always something that's fresh that you can be triggered by so you don't want to be triggered by it you want to just learn from it and move on so they would give you a piece of paper just markers and crayons and they're like all right this startle response like draw whatever that looked like and then this next part draw that and then this next one draw that. And then you'd also have one from like a happy before and a happy after kind of thing. So that's your right side of the brain telling the story. And then they give you those back and they'd say now write what like you were thinking, what was happening, like all like bubbles or however you want to do it. And you come back over and you'd write out what that whole thing was on each of them and that's your left side of the brain telling the story. Then they tell you to go take a walk for a while and they'd go into this other room and they would put all of them up on the wall and then you'd come in and sit down, and they would tell your story back to you. Hmm. And that's all there was to it. Really? Uh, We were able in a week to process five big traumatic instances to which I have not had any kind of response to since. Wow. Yeah, I can talk about them. Nothing about those stories trigger me anymore. It was like, honestly, it was so dramatic of a change that up until very recently, that was a, a little over two years ago, up until like maybe a few months ago, which is when I kind of like started digging into like, maybe I want to do some more healing. I thought I was healed. Right. Like I was like, I'm just like everybody else now. Right, Like right. that's how, like I've been telling people, yeah, I had really bad PTSD, but I don't have it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I still do, I have complex PTSD, but, um, and I do still have emotional flashbacks. And I do still have a critic to deal with
0: that's a dramatic it made me from
1: barely functioning like functioning but like really having to give it everything and still sometimes I wasn't enough to being busy and productive and yeah on my own I've lived alone ever since and have been 100% supporting myself working doing multiple jobs at a time high stress environments and I've been yeah, so you know, that the, place was amazing.
0: <laughs> the reason I started this project, you know, it's called the Hidden South, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is because I carried around these secrets for years, and then I discovered really that once I was able to talk about those things, they didn't have any power over me anymore. So it's very much, it's very much like that, right? Yeah. I mean, they're putting it up on the wall for you to look at and to face and to be like, this is what happened, and and it's about. I don't know, it's about putting it up on the wall and having the courage to look at it and And it's amazing. also somebody
1: else tells it to you, like your stories always are different from somebody else's telling you or you telling your story. Like there's different, something about it kind of snapped it into perspective. If somebody else tells you your story, you know, you don't feel their story, you don't feel as emotionally charged by it sure. as you do your own, right? Your own just feels so much bigger. Right. You know, so having somebody else tell it was interesting and then also really dramatic to have a happy picture from before and, you know, relatively right after that happened. Like a really big part of it too is realizing that I think in your mind when a lot of big traumatic events happen to you you think that you get into this kind of black and white thinking that it's never stopped right right it's always been this way like that's evidence right in front of you that it's not always like that (laughs) hasn't always been like that yeah there's been this good in between too it's just that we're adding we're giving so much more credit to the bad than we are to the good experiences that are happening too yeah so they say with complex PTSD because it's not in the DSM they just kind of have it almost listed like under regular PTSD, kind right. of as a. They say if you, if you put it in the DSM, it would shrink the DSM from the size to like the size of a pamphlet. So probably so much of what they diagnose as other things is actually this. There's not anything that you can prescribe for it. Right. There's no money to be made in it, which makes it really, really hard to find help for it.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I actually talked to um, a doctor that works for the VA. He told me about a therapy that they do that is life-changing for vets. It involves the vet Telling the story of the traumatic event on on a, on a recording and listening to that event over and over and over again in their car, you know, just when they and what happens is that it ends up losing power. You yeah, know? And it that's doesn't have the thing. power anymore. And it's it's the same idea as putting it up on the yeah, wall. Right. They said
1: it was, so, and they videoed it. They yeah. video Like I have somewhere a video of all of them if I needed to rewatch them. Yeah. They videoed it from where I was sitting. Like right next to me was a video camera. That's cool. They um. But there's something about, that's what they said, the most important part of it was somebody telling it to you. Yeah. It's like hearing somebody else say it.
0: Well, and that's the thing about, because I remember him talking about this, because I asked, you know, why do you have them do the recording? And it's because... Well, it's something about like when they hear it back, it's almost like they're not telling the story. It's like they're hearing it as a story outside of themselves. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And
1: here it is, this is, and they're kind of talking. This is just like a little pair, well here, there's two full paragraphs that they have, so it's not that much. Effective trauma therapy, this is that place. The instinctual trauma response, that's what they call their method, um, is evidence supported method that focuses on treating the roots of trauma rather than the symptoms. The method was developed by Dr. Lou Tinan, psychiatrist, and Dr. Linda, Linda Gant, that's who I dealt with, our therapist, after over 30 years of clinical experience with people coping with all kinds of trauma. The ITR method recodes traumatic memory from the right brain format to the left brain format, ending or greatly reducing triggers and symptoms. The ITR method gives traumatic memories, order, verbal coding, historical context, and an objective third-person view that protects the person from re-experiencing the trauma and fosters their capacity for empathy for themselves and others. The Client feels the event is finally over and in the past. Many clients say that the ITR method radically changed their lives, and therapists often say it's the only trauma treatment they have seen that really works. And you can attest to that. (laughs) Fucking works, dude. (laughs) I got a good quote for you. What you got? I don't know how to pronounce his name, it looks like Robert Henri or Robert Henry, but I think it's even pronounced different than those two ways, but he's like historically one of the most famous art teachers, he's Mm an artist as well, but this is my very favorite thing about making art, it says, at such times there is a song going on within us, a song to which we listen, it fills us with surprise, we marvel at it, we would continue to hear it." but few are capable of holding themselves in a state of listening to their own song. Intellectuality steps in, and as the song within us is of the utmost sensitiveness, it retires in the presence of the cold material intellect. It is aristocratic and will not associate itself with the commonplace, and we fall back and become our ordinary selves. Yet we live in the memory of these songs, which in moments of intellectual inadvertence have been possible to us. They are the pinnacles of our experience and it is the desire to express these intimate sensations, this song from within, which motivates the masters of all art. Mm. not that beautiful?
0: That is beautiful. And I think a perfect way to end.
1: It's a good way to end, right? Yeah. Thank you so much You're for sharing so your welcome. story
0: with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hidden South. All stories are edited for clarity and brevity. You can view hundreds of portraits and stories, including this one at thehiddensouth.com